Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm all right. How about yourself? I'm not too bad. Thank you for joining me today. I've been really excited to talk to you. Um, so I was just listening to your album and well, I was listening to two of your albums, actually. Uh, I was listening to your solo project, The Reticent, and then I was listening to, um, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Zael? Zael, yeah. Zael, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure, but um, yeah, they're both fucking killer albums, dude. Like you're, you're fucking talented as shit. And if you don't mind me saying so, you have quite the lovely singing voice. You Come sound, on. your solo project sounded a lot like, um, like Opeth mm -hmm. and you actually sound pretty fucking close to Mikkel. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that, that has been a, a positive and a negative about, about my, my singing voice is that we get, uh, we get compared to them a, a fair amount. And I like, I like that kind of progressive dynamic writing and not a lot of people outside of Opeth do that. So, right. Um, uh, that's actually what's cool about Zael is that um when uh when Josh asked me to to be in it um I thought it might be he he liked my my cleans and so he wanted me to to contribute cleans as well as you know doing guitar and writing and stuff and uh I thought it might be cool to kind of push myself to do more of like a full like ICS Vortex style like really really get as as big as possible and uh so that's been very fun I actually just yesterday uh, submitted an audition to sing for another band, uh, so I can't say anything yet. But yeah. I, might, I might be doing yet another one, and that's 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 also that's going to be more gritty. So that'd be yet another thing to do. But, uh, but okay, so, so is that going to be more um, like progressive, like you're doing now, or is it going to be more symphonic? Or because um, I'm sorry, say it again, Z Zael. Zael, yeah. Zael, I will get this right. Um, Zael is more kind of like like a death metal with symphonic overtones or yes. orchestral overtones, which I really mm -hmm. enjoyed. I enjoyed that album very much. And um, it kind of reminded me of like Septic Flesh a little bit. I don't know if that's your influence at all with any of you guys, but that's kind of like what I got from the death metal slash clean vocal dynamic and then like the mm -hmm. orchestra in the background, you know, which I thought was pretty cool. You know, it's, it's, what's interesting is like uh, I just gotten together with... Um, with two of the guys from from Zio, we had kind of like an informal little jam session um and uh just started writing some new new material and uh when we got done uh, i was playing these riffs and, and josh and i were kind of vibing on some stuff just trying some things out and uh <laughs> he and he and, uh, and the and the singer they were both like man it sounds like septic flesh <laughs> so, <laughs> all right well i guess i guess that's a fair comparison but um no, that's what's that's that's the fun thing about the band, actually, is that um, everybody has these really divergent uh, influences and everybody comes together is that that was, you know, Josh Ward. It was his his conception. Um, and uh, but I mean, like you have everybody coming from a very different background, uh, you know, because like Brad, you know, Brad plays with Nile and. Um, you know he's he's got this technical background but he's done so much of that he's really ready to do something very different um and josh and i both like a lot of stuff outside of metal so we bring a lot of that melodic and symphonic element to it because we listen to a lot of stuff that isn't metal and inject that into it um you know so that's that's really very fun to do but uh 
<clears throat> now that we've kind of got ourselves squared away, we've already started talking about like what our next, um, what our next EP is going to be and what, where the story is going to go and all this kind of stuff. And um, we threw this album together fairly fast, to be honest with you. Really? Um, yeah, it, it was written very hastily. In fact, a lot of it was written remotely. Like uh, okay. I wrote some, there's a song called Dark World Mirrors and I wrote a bunch of those riffs like from this room and I filmed myself playing them and I sent them to the guys. And that's, that's kind of like how the song got written. It was just like throwing riffs kind of like a ping pong ball in the yeah. in the pandemic um and then we just kind of got together at josh's place to like record uh stuff like that and um that was uh it was it was odd and believe it or not a lot of my clean vocal moments were improvised um we just sort of said like oh let's put let's let's put chris right here what should we what should we do so i just listen and i just kind of make up some melodies and then oh you know what we could put a harmony with that and there there it is um which is it's the complete opposite of the way that I worked with the reticent with reticent. I would take years kind of crafting the stuff and I want it to be absolutely perfect and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, it's really, it's really fun kind of doing those, those two things, but um, I'm really, I'm really pleased people are digging on Zyle and we just, we just landed a, a short little tour. We're going to be uh, opening for bloodbath uh, next year. Uh, nice. in May. Actually, I don't know if I'm supposed to announce that or not but I did okay. so whatever <laughs> well it's we can't fun. I can always edit it out later yeah. I don't think I don't think they're gonna care okay. um, it's it's fine but um yeah so that'll that'll be cool and we'll do a little bit of U.S. into Canada um which will be very fun and um then I think we're gonna try to we, we talked about trying to do a reticent Zyle little run of shows um which would be taxing on me, but it would be kind of fun because those two projects are so different, but that's, those are the kind of shows I love. I love when you have a wide variety of stuff, you know, just very, very different bands, you know, all on the same bill. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm really glad you, you enjoyed uh, Zyle um, and uh, hopefully, hopefully some other people will check that out and, and the reticent. I'm surprised that was written hastily because honestly it was like really good production value and it sounded like really put together so I mean that just kind of speaks to how talented you guys are and how well you work as a group you know what I mean so that's pretty cool yeah. is it reticent a solo project though yeah um so you would just like if you're going to do both of them live you would just have um uh well, like have, live session musicians for that well I have I have members um that have become like dedicated live members um the difference in the, in the reticent, um, whereas like for, for Zyle, like Josh did so much of the labor, he'll, he'll never, uh, you know, take as much credit as he should for all the work he does. Uh, cause it really is his baby and he engineered it. Um, okay. so, I mean, he really did, uh, he really did quite a lot, but, um, one, one reason like he and I work so well together. And I think one reason he brought me into Zyle was that was a personal passion project for him. And it was coming from an emotional place for him and you know i really resonate with that kind of thing and the reticent is kind of like that for for me um you know i dealt with all these really traumatic things and terrible things through that and that's music was the way i, I coped with it um and i would get so meticulous about the stuff and i would hear every part in my head you know you'd say i have all these instruments here and so i would write all the parts and play them all and i wanted to be really specific on the record because like 
it needs to be this crash symbol at this moment for this particular reason. It needs to be this note for this particular reason. It needs to sound like this for this reason. It's, it's very intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, like with the last two records with On the Eve of Goodbye and Oubliette, there's, they're, they're concept driven, they're story driven, um, you know, parts of my past. And so because they're so personal, I kind of have a, this, this sort of, you know, very specific vision of what it, what it should be. Um, and the last record, Oubliette, was the first time I brought somebody in that, that really played on a lot of stuff. And that was James Nelson, my lead guitarist, mm-hmm. who's a far better guitarist than me. He's the best guitar player I know. I don't know anybody better than him. Nice. Um, and uh, he's, uh, he's amazing. And we work really well together. We play very well together. Um, and he was able to contribute things that really enhanced the vision. So I think kind of moving forward, it's not just going to be, um, you know, me only, uh, even though like most of the writing happens kind of in that vacuum. Right. Um, Cause I'm already working on the next uh, EP. Um, actually I sent, I sent Jamie King, my producer, uh, kind of like the layout of like, here's, here's the concept and here's what it's going to be about. And here's how I'm going to do it. And I'm, I'm only writing it when I can't sleep. Um, so I want my brain to be on like a weird wavelength when I'm writing. So I'll only write if I'm suffering from insomnia, I'll get up out of bed and then I'll go sit down. I'll, I'll write or I'll write lyrics or whatever, but I won't do it when I'm clear headed. Um, why won't you do it when you're clear headed? Cause you don't feel like you'd have the same type of musical inspiration. Well, for, for this particular concept, um, which I guess, you know, it's okay if I talk about it, but I want to kind of, one of the main central themes is sort of like sleep deprivation and the consequences of that, and, you know, mentally, what happens to you when you don't sleep for a long time. I suffer from very bad insomnia. And uh, so I just, I had this EP idea because I couldn't sleep. I would, I, I would go so long without sleep, I would get sick. And I thought, you know, that might be an interesting thing to explore and so I started researching the, the neurology of it, the different brainwave patterns that occur when we're trying to go to sleep, when we do sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, when, when I recorded on the eve of a goodbye, I was in the grip of um, a lot of uh, loss even then, even though it was several years from Eve's passing. Um, you know, you could hear on songs like Funeral for a Firefly where I just kind of broke down. Um, it's very honest and I'm trying to, to unburden myself. Same thing with Oubliette, like Alzheimer's touched me, um, not me personally, but, you know, family and all that stuff. And I've been a, you know, an advocate for that kind of thing. I, at a school I taught at, I tried to get them to be a, uh, an Alive Inside pilot school uh, for the Alive Inside Foundation. Um, and so there's a, there's a certain honesty, I think, that's, that's in that band that I want to stay true to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what occurred to me was like, if I want to capture sleeplessness and the nausea that comes from those nagging thoughts, that just keep you up and you're hot, but you're cold. You're, you can't, you know, you don't want to move. You're too tired to get up. You're too wound up to sleep. Like all the, the all these contrary states of mind and body. And I thought I, I really need to not be in, my right mind i need to you know i need to not be thinking oh well i'm well rested and i can think about all the uh 
all the different nuances and the different harmonic things we can do here and melodic things and rhythmic things. It needs to be far more just primal stream of consciousness kind of style thing. And I think that might also just make it a really unique thing among what I've put out. Um, and hopefully that will resonate with, with people still. But again, it's just wanting to, wanting to keep this as honest as possible. And I thought that might be a way to capture like what is what does the exhausted insomniac mind sound like what does the exhausted insomniac mind come up with if you were so tired that you felt like you were gonna you know get sick and you put a guitar in your hands what would you write um yeah. and so i've come up with very strange things um the first the first track is very similar to some of the things i've done um but as it goes on, like it's gotten very weird avant-garde, like mixing almost like, I don't know, let's take this Dillinger escape plan kind of just, you know, it's craziness with this droning neurosis post-metal kind of stuff. Yeah. And then with, I don't know where, let's have this big organ um, and like quote Carl Huss's, uh you know, some of some of his works or something like that. I mean, just um, so quoting symphonic wind literature and then let's have this like weird aside, like some sort of like neo soul thing. I don't know where and then go back into this blast beat chaos, like grindy Marduk-esque, you know, black metal thing that goes back into the Dillinger stuff, like just very, very odd kinds of kinds of things. And then like the next tune is just very doomy, acoustic and pretty and sad. Like, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the reason I'm doing that is just to, to be as, to be as honest as possible to be, uh, I, well, I guess the word is like authentic. Yeah. Um, Fuck and, man. That, that's, that's fucking really deep. Like, I don't, I don't know a lot of musicians that I've talked to so far, at least, that have gone to such great lengths to, like, capture the integrity of the fucking human spirit while it's suffering, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I get chills just thinking about that. I think that's fucking admirable and beautiful, and the album is absolutely gorgeous, and you guys should totally fucking check it out. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, dude, seriously. I, I feel, like, so honored to talk to you. Fuck, you're fascinating. This is this is why I wanted to do this. This is why I want to do this because so many people that create such beautiful artistic music are just there's so much behind it, you know, just like we're I'm talking to you right now. Like I would have never guessed that there was so much behind what you write. Like you <laughs> your soul is like a fucking ocean, you know what I mean? That's and you're capturing it sonically and that's fucking beautiful. I'm honored. I don't, I don't know that I have 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 as much depth as, as all that, but I've, I'm I'm very grateful. Well, that's what I you know that's just what I'm picking up. That that's just the way that I'm perceiving you from you know the conversations that we've had. I mm. mean, it's only been a few, but I can tell that you're you know highly intelligent and and deep and um, obviously very talented. So I was you know, and you're always I always see your posts on Facebook that are very honest about your, your mental health struggles. And I try to reach out to people that I know are going to be interested in talking about that because I mean, let's be honest, a lot of people can be just superficial and skin deep and don't really give a fuck 
about anything with depth or emotional resonance, you know? So when I saw, it was like almost instantly that we became friends, you were just, you kind of stood out and I was like, okay, I'm gonna talk to this guy, see if he's into it, maybe not. But, and then I had mentioned that a lot of people are like afraid to be vulnerable. And I think, I understand. I totally understand where they're coming from. It is, it is scary if you're not used to doing it. If all your life you have felt like you have nobody to talk to, I totally understand like, why the fuck would you want to, would you want to put your shit out there to talk to some stranger on the internet? Like, I get it. It's not for everybody. So thank you for having the courage to like be vulnerable and be honest about your struggles. Um, Can we talk a little bit about like what you struggle with besides, besides insomnia? Like, do you struggle with depression? Mm -hmm. What, what other mental health issues plague you? Um, so if we, if we want to get, um, if we want to get clinical about things, I have, uh, a, um, a condition called uh, major depressive disorder, um, as well as a uh, generalized anxiety disorder. And, um, these things afflict people to various degrees. Um, there's a kind of swath of criteria that one could be diagnosed, uh, you know, with, and, um, when I was diagnosed, it was, it was kind of like, I almost ticked every box that was possible. Um, I, uh, I have to, to fight a lot to be, um, who a lot of people think I am. And, uh, I decided, uh, not all that long ago, maybe a year or two ago. So you're, you're, you're not all that late to the party. I decided that I wanted my, uh, my social media to be just remarkably honest. And if I was going through stuff, I would just say it. And, uh, what I wanted to do was kind of like what I've done with music. Um, which, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm this underground artist. So I mean, most people don't know who I am, but um, I wanted to be able to send up a signal flare to people to let them know that they're not alone. Someone else feels this. Someone else is going through this. And um, I'll take the, the ridicule or the consequence or whatever. And, and maybe you can just say me too. Or you can just say, uh, you know, maybe you just like it or something like that. And you can just be like, okay, well, I feel that or something like that, you know? And, um, so part of my, my day job, I mean, I'm a, I'm a teacher by day. I've been a teacher for several, several years, actually over a decade, which makes me feel very old, but, um, my students, uh, knew me as a confident, uh, leader. I mean, you know, I, I taught, you know, uh, bands and wind ensembles, marching bands, competitive groups, jazz groups, all this kind of stuff. And I was always the guy with the plan. And when they were, they doubted, they didn't believe, they, they felt all was ashes or I had to be the one. Nope, nope, you're going to make it. This is going to be fine. We're going to get there. Get up, let's go. Now, for many of them, it was a revelation when, because uh, I was still teaching when On the Eve of a Goodbye came out. Mm-hmm. And many of them listened to that record. And it was really weird for them to hear this guy that they knew of as just large in charge, you know, always confident, you know, crying on a, on an album. And some of them saw me live and I'll do the same thing. There was a, there was a long period of time when 
I went several years where I wouldn't say Eve's name. Um, and then there was a period of time where if I talked about her, I'd you know break down, all this kind of stuff. And kind of like I was talking about a little bit ago with that authenticity thing, you know, if you came to see a, a reticence show, as some of my students did, um, I feel like the, the live show should be an overwhelming experience. I want it to be, I want you to be, I mean, that, that is the only word I could think of. I want you to be overwhelmed. So I would always ask the club or the venue if we could be uh, as dark as possible, please. Like, I was like, I don't want people to look at me like, you know, which, you know, I mean, some of that is just sort of like, I don't like, I don't like being photographed. I don't like any of that kind of stuff. Like I, I'm one of those people who's like, look, I know what I look like. I don't want to be reminded just, just, you know, let's take, put the spotlight somewhere else. Don't show my face. Um, but it was kind of more than that where it was, it was kind of a joke for a while. Like that's what it was just like, Oh, we're just too ugly to be seen. But actually it was a, you know, I want, I want the audience to kind of be with us in the moment we would have, I would cut these movies together and kind of like, uh, I know neurosis did it for a while. They didn't do exactly this. And many, many bands have since like made use of like visual media, Yeah. but I would cut together these narrative videos and uh, eventually we started using audio between songs of suicide survivors, parents who've lost children, doctors, Fuck. that kind of stuff. And we'd play these shows when we're, when we're playing shows in support of Eve. Um, that was actually the point, you know, right there around like 20 from 2015, all the way up to like 2019, that whole area of time when we did shows, that was when it became a thing, at least around here. Um, Cause we were always going to go like do some tour thing and then it never worked out. And we had like a revolving door of members for a while. So like, you know, it's amazing that the album hasn't found any kind of international audience with how little we were able to do. But um, we, we became known for as this band that you don't clap for. So we'd play these shows and we'd play with like death metal bands, black metal bands, whatever. Um, that's actually how I got hooked up with Josh from Zyle was he was in a band called Refume as well. And he asked the reticent to play on that. And he watched this play and he was like, I've never seen anything like that. And the thing is like, I don't talk to the audience. We start the show. It starts with newscasts about suicide. Um, the video's going. We play our first couple songs, song called Girl Broken, all this kind of stuff. We go through them. And the songs, if you listen to the album, the songs get slower and darker as it goes on. And the, and what you see on the screen gets worse and worse and worse. starts out kind of just esoteric, but it starts to get a little bit more serious and uh, all those kinds of things. And in between songs, I would never, I wouldn't, it wasn't trying to be rude. I would never say thank you. I would never say like, what's up, San Antonio? Like I wouldn't do any <laughs> of that stuff. Right. Um, You're staying in character and keeping and, the, the emotion. In yeah. Track. And I, I just, I told the guy, every time before we played, I would pull the guys together and try to get us in the, in the right frame of mind. And it'd be a thing to where, you know, I told them, I said, when we play, it shouldn't matter if there's one person there or 5,000. It doesn't matter. Fuck yeah. Um, we're not playing it for entertainment. This should be, we should be purging something. If we don't hurt during this, then we just cheated all of them out of their money. Fuck. So we better hurt while this is happening. We need to go to that place and we need to feel it and we need to get in touch with that thing. And so, um, you know, many people talk about, they could see it on my face even before the end of the shows, but like by the end of the shows, I got tears, you know, rolling down my cheeks. Some of the other guys do, um, 
you can hear it in my voice. My voice is breaking as I'm screaming and all this kind of stuff. Dude, I want and, to cry just thinking about it. Like, <laughs> and, and the place would be dead silent. And I can remember every time between the song, the decision and the day after, um, I've only ever played funeral for a firefly once and I'm never going to play it again. Um, but we would play a song called the decision and the day after. And I can always remember after decision um, ends with this really grindy stuff. And then we just suddenly stop all at, all at once. Like we, we time it very well and cut off in the movie. We, we had to start playing to a click so we could time it. So the movie cuts off right at the same time. So everything goes black at the same time. <laughs> and I can remember very distinctly after that. And I remember the sample I would play between that was the, this uh, father talking about losing his uh, son. And, you know, there's no music with it. It's just, you know, it's just very intimate guy. And you can hear it, hear him fighting the tears as he's talking about it. You don't have to see him. And I'd be getting ready to play the after and all this kind of stuff. And I just remember at, at those shows, especially like the Cedar Release show and all stuff, like you can just hear a pin drop. And there'd just be all these people, all, you know, people in Cannibal Corpse and Burzum shirts and all these tough looking people and just dead silent. And, uh, you know, then I could play and I could play, you know, I could almost whisper the vocals and you could hear them. And it was just an interesting kind of thing. So I noticed that when we started doing that and I started saying, I'm just going to go out there and hurt in front of all these people. Now I would, I would close my eyes. It was very, it's very difficult to do that and look people in the eyes. So if you ever came to see us, I'm not, I'm not going to look at you. You can stand right up front and stare right at me. I will not make eye contact with you. I'm going, I'm, I'm going to a different place. I'm not yeah. at this club. I'm, I'm somewhere else. And uh, so, but I noticed after, after a while of playing those shows, I would have these people come up to me afterwards. And again, I mean, it's not like we're, we're somebody. It's not like we're, we're not any name, but these people would say like, they'd seen us a couple of times or they'd never seen us before. And some of these people come up to me crying. Some of these people come up to me and say, you know, I've, I've been through this. I'm going through this. I didn't want to live this morning, all this kind of stuff. And, um, there was a show a couple, couple years ago. Um, the morning of the show, I had actually sat in my truck and I had a 45 right next to me. I was like, this is it. Yeah, I'm done. I'm out. And I was ready. I was like bracing myself. I was even doing like, I was just taking these breaths. You know, I was like, okay, I'm just going to breathe in, breathe out on three. And then we're done. And my, my sense of obligation kind of won over and it ties back to my students. I thought about my students. I knew some of them were going to come to the show or whatever. So, so, well, I should, people are counting on me to do something. So I don't like letting people down. So I'm going to go take care of that. So put the gun back in the compartment. I went and played the show. Um, during the show, uh, I had, you know, almost like a breakdown during playing the, the stuff. And I remember James, um, like I say, he's my, he's my lead guitarist uh, and, and now kind of like my partner in crime with the reticent. He actually was like a hired gun for a while. And then like he, he felt the emotion of those live shows and said, I need to be a part of this. Mitch was the same way. My drummer, Mitch, he's the same way. He was just someone I hired to do a couple shows as a session guy. And he said, like, there's something about this that really moves me. And I want to, I want to stay a part of this. I've never, I've never felt that at a show. I've never felt that kind of energy. And so I remember I got done playing the day after. It was a terrible, terrible run. Um, and actually, I had, we'd like 
I think the video kept going and I didn't, we, we just, uh, I just like confessed to the crowd like then, like, and it was a weird thing cause I don't talk and I confessed to the crowd. Like I said, you know what? I was gonna, I wasn't going to be here today cause I was going to die this morning. And, um, I'm here now because of these people here and I'm, and all this stuff. And, you know, I want you to know that if you're struggling, I'm, I'm here for you and I want you to talk to me. Um, and I understand and just making it to tomorrow. That's a huge victory. That's a big step and all this stuff. And I'm crying. Everybody's crying all stuff. And we get done with day after and James comes up to me like on stage. I think somebody else was supposed to come on stage and play. And like James just immediately went up and like hugged me and like gave me this long embrace, like just a didn't let go. And it was a really deep moment. And, you know, I love this guy and he'd seen me and he was actually, he was actually at my house when all sorts of terrible stuff happened and everything. So he knew that I was really having a tough time. And but people talked to me all at that show and people said they really, it meant a lot to them that I shared that with them. It meant a lot to them that I was vulnerable like that. It meant a lot to them that I uh, confessed that to them and that they saw that. Um, and many of them kind of hurt along with me. And, you know, there was one guy um, who's, who's actually come to see us several times since, since then. He's, he's told me since then that like I saved his life or something like that, like at a show doing that kind of thing. And I don't, I do not feel comfortable taking any credit for that thing. Cause he saved his life. Um, I did not, but um, you know, it's, it's really moving that he, you know, felt that kind of connection. And the fact that some of these people have seen us over time really meant a lot to me. Like we, even when we were playing, we only played a couple shows in support of Oubliette before the world ended. Um, and we, we had switched over completely to Alzheimer's and all this kind of stuff. We were playing this place called Motorco, um, a wonderful venue. I love that venue. And this girl came up to me uh, after the show and she, she said, you know, you're one of my favorite bands. I've listened to you since Eve and Eve is one of my favorite albums of all time. And I knew I wanted to come see you tonight. And if I, if I came to see you, I, I wanted to be able to talk to you. I wanted to talk to you and to be able to tell you, like, I haven't cut myself in 10 months. And, you know, uh, I'm proud of myself and whatever and, and all these kinds of things. And I, you know, high-fived her and I was like, man, that's, that's wonderful. And it meant a lot to me that she wanted to share that with me. She didn't want to come up and say, you know, oh, you're so great. Or this, it, it was, I've, I've made a positive change. I've been able to help myself. And if in some way me kind of sharing this, the dark side of, of what I go through, reminds people that they're not alone and that you can work through. It's okay to feel it. It's okay to even think it, but you can, you can then move forward. Um, that's what I think people need to understand. Um, you're not broken. You're not a, you're not a bad person because that doesn't make you weak. And that's one thing that, you know, some circles I've run in before, like <clears throat> have had such a dismissive and, like tough guy bullshit attitude towards this thing of just, you know, and it's just like, there you go. That, yeah. That's very helpful. And it's sort of like, you know, and it's at the same time, it's like you listen to suicidal black metal. Right. So 
you can't like you can't have it both ways dude you can't listen to some of that stuff or even stuff that's not like you know dsbm but like like Karak Angren, the Bidatore Nich, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Like there's plenty of stuff that doesn't necessarily, I'm not going to say glorifies suicide, but like references it or references the pain people go through and people wear the t-shirts, right. but then they'll deride it as, well, you're weak or you're this or that or the other thing. And um, or you're trying to get attention or this, that or the other thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's I, I don't, I don't so much like that. And I mean, you know, to be fair, like I got a little bit of that, like with the reticence, like we play some shows where there'd be some, like a couple hecklers in the back who just, you know, like, okay, like, and uh, other epithets. And it was, you know, I had a friend who was a bartender at this club and she got, man, she got pissed. Um, And she told them, she took their beers from them and she was like, get the fuck out of here right now um good and good it's just sort of you know like to some people and that's the thing like some people can't take what we do and like i totally understand that like even with oubliette which is about alzheimer's disease we played this show at a club called amos's and um it was a good good night and what's cool about amos is amos is a huge stage and everything and even like the rafters people could be up here to watch you or whatever so it was Really cool and um, you know, perfect place for us to try it out. It was actually our first time doing the Oubliette Live. And so we had a whole new movie and we had props and we had this whole thing we were gonna do. And um, it, it received well. And there was even somebody there that worked with Alzheimer's patients. She was a nurse and I'd never met her before. She was like, that was amazing and wonderful and all this kind of stuff. And this guy, uh, I think James and I were loading the truck up outside and um, this guy came up to us and he said, Hey, I just want to tell you, I'm a, I'm a fan and I love you guys seen you a bunch of times. Um, but this, this one hit too close to home. I just couldn't, couldn't really deal with that. Especially some of the stuff you show on screen just couldn't, it's just a little too much for me. I had to leave. And I said, he said, I didn't want to be rude. And I, I, I'm not, I wasn't trying to walk out. And I, I said, man, look, you don't ever have to apologize for walking out of that. I said, people have done that stuff to me on, you know, with the suicide stuff, like close friends of mine have said like, I can't watch your show. I get it. I support you hundred percent and I'll stand outside and listen. I can't watch it because like I said, in the beginning, I said, I want to overwhelm you. Right. I want to give you a, a, a musical show, this emotional thing. I want to give you a visual thing. I want it to be something to where you are overloaded so you can't escape it. And it's not because I'm trying to ruin your day. It's because this thing of like, I feel like people that suffer with this stuff, that's the thing is they don't feel heard. They don't yes. feel like they can be visible and so I was going to say, you know, if I asked the average person, I was like, how many people took their lives in 2018 in the U.S.? And people are like, I don't know. And I'll say, well, it would be north of 45,000. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of these things of <laughs> people think of it as this small problem. And I said, no, for every one of those, for every one of those, 25 attempted. For every one of those, it's estimated that 50 plan or think about it. Now we're talking about really, truly exponential growth because that's the people that complete suicide. Yeah. And in AFSP, it's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I'm a, I'm a trainer for them. We don't, we don't like to use the word commit suicide. We say complete. Um, and the reason is because 
even the language you use when we say commit suicide, think about that language. What else do you commit? Well, you commit adultery, you commit a crime, you commit murder, you commit those things. So it just shows we, we look, we, we view this as reprehensible. We view it as a crime. We view it as a terrible thing. And it's not that it's a good thing. Don't get us wrong here, but it's a thing of your, why don't people talk about this? Why, why don't people come forward? Why don't people seek help? Because they already kind of feel alienated and they feel like they're wrong. They feel like even, even if you're thinking about it, you feel well, guilty. Yeah. You're guilty. It's almost like you you're feel guilty and you feel ashamed. Exactly. And it's, um, I think the, the advent of social media for all the good it does. And I really try my best and I sure I fail every day, but I try my best to be some force for good in the world of social media. Um, not that I, I don't have some big, I don't want anyone listening to this thinking I have some big following. I do not. But from my small corner of the world, if somebody sees text from me, I want it to be, you know, something, you know, trying to help. Um, so if you were friends with me on Facebook, you would see me at, at some point, I'm going to say like, I'm glad you're alive. I'm really glad you're here. And your life has value to me. And even if you're struggling, all this kind of stuff, I'm with you. And if you need something, you, you talk to me. And I've had people have taken me up on that over the past year. Just strangers, people I've never met who saw me saying like, are you okay? And if not, tell me how I can help. And I would say, I, I would have to say like, I mean, I'm being genuine. I mean it. And people would tell me this stuff. And I've had, you know, people talk about how they didn't want to live. I had one girl send me pictures of her cut up arms and said, I don't know how to stop doing this and all stuff. And it's sort of, you know, many times I would say, look, I'm not a, I'm not a professional counselor. Um, so, you know, I always want, you know, recommend, like, if you're in those dire straits, get that professional help, but I'm going to listen to you and I'm not going to judge you. And I'm not going to say, you know, you're a this, you're a that or anything. Um, and you can tell me how you're feeling. You can tell me, I don't think I want to live anymore or whatever. And I'm not going to say, well, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to freak out or anything. I'm going to say, okay, well, let's, uh, let's explore that. Like what's, what's going on? Let's just talk a little bit. And nine times out of 10, that's what people need. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, they just need somebody who will listen, you know, someone who will just be there and not, not view them as less than, not view them as weak, not view them as, as anything else, just to, to, to hear them and accept them as this flawed human being and uh, still care about them at the end of it, still be able to say to them, you know, I'd say the same thing. I'd be say, hey, I'm really glad you're here. And I'm going to be thinking about you tomorrow. Um, like that could make somebody's day. It means the world to them. Um, and, you know, obviously, like if I had, I don't know how many thousand people or friends with me on Facebook, not that any of them pay attention, but like if all of them message me, like, I would not be able to get back to everybody and try to help everybody, but you know, I would really try, yeah. I would really try to go through and, and get to, get to everyone. But that's why I try to put that kind of energy out there. That's why I put these, these records out. Um, and um, so, I mean, it really was, it was kind of a combination of all those things. I know it's just the longest story in the world and I do apologize. Um, no, don't, don't, please don't. But uh, you know, it, it, it was an amalgamation of all these things that made me say, like, I need to, I need to be more forthright about this. And um, 
I don't know how it affected. I'm sure it changed the way many of my students saw me when they found out that I was as, as flawed as all this. Um, and, uh, you know, but the vast majority of them that have like kept in touch with me, um, I'm mostly friends on social media with like former students, my, my current students, they're all too cool for like Facebook. They use Instagram and, and I'm not like, as you can see, I'm not photogenic. So like I stay away from Instagram uh, completely. Uh, so we kind of have a little bit of a divide there. Um, and, uh, which may be a good thing, but I have these former students who like, you know, in the past year, they've checked on me and they've, they've said like, I, I just want to be sure you're okay. And I want you to know like how much you meant to me or decide the other thing. And so, you know, it really has come full circle where these kids, it, it, it made me think, well, maybe, maybe they, maybe they got it. Maybe they saw you know, and then these guys all had, you know, great upbringings and everything. So the parents ra raised them right. But um, maybe I also had a, a little, a little help in, in showing them that it's, it's okay to be, it's okay to hurt. It's okay to, to feel like you can't and all that kind of stuff. It's okay to say it even. Um, because sometimes that's the only way people know, it, you know, to help you. Um, I didn't know Eve was going to do what she did. I didn't see it coming. And Eve was a good friend to you, right? She yeah. was a close friend. And she was, she was happy. I was the depressive one in our dynamic. I was, I was a sad guy and all this kind of stuff. Well, it was me, blah, blah, blah. And so what made that so difficult for me was the fact that it was like, you're not supposed to be the one to do this. And what do I do now? How do I even process this? How do I even trust anybody else, you know, to not feel that way? Because I was completely blindsided. Now, I mean, I'm not, you know, I've dedicated my life to all this kind of stuff since then. So like, yeah, I know all sorts of red flags, warning signs. I do this and the other thing. And I didn't know. And I blamed myself for the majority of the time since her death, I, I blame myself. And I still do from, from time to time. Why do you blame yourself? I feel like I should have saved her. I feel like I should have seen it come. I should have said something. I should have, I should have been there for her in some way. But obviously you didn't know. How could you have saved her? She didn't tell you. Precisely. That's not and your fault. So, so what, what torments me, and this is, you know, the, the thing about survivor's guilt is, you know, what torments you is, what did I miss? Was there something that was said that I didn't hear? Was there something, was there, was there a cue that I should have picked up on? And, uh, you know, I mean, every little thing, like, why did I look this way instead of that way? Like every, every little thing. Um, survivor's guilt is very difficult. That's part of what Eve is about. Uh, for those of us who've been left behind by people, that crater that's left behind is uh man that's a deep deep hole to climb out of um you're you're such a tsunami of emotions you're you're furious and angry you're despondent um you're grief stricken you're overwhelmed with guilt you're confused um it's just uh remarkably difficult to kind of get through and it takes a lot of work to process um 
And I did it the wrong way. I processed her death the exact wrong way. Um, if you look at my transcript in college, you can actually, you can see when she died because I was straight A's and then failed. I failed almost everything in one semester. Um, I just stopped. I just stopped functioning. I didn't go to class, didn't do anything. Um, I didn't play any music. That was, it was the quietest time of my life. And music was not there for me at that moment, the way I needed her to be. And I didn't know how to deal with it because it was so quiet. That's, that's really what hell sounds like to me. Hell is silent to me. And as a musician, like, uh, you know, I've always heard music in my head of it. Music has been the driving force, but after she died, it was silent. It was silent in my head. I couldn't hear the music anymore. And music didn't bring me any joy. Like I'd pick up my sticks and play. Drumming was what I did for the longest time. And it brought me nothing. I felt nothing. I'd play and I would just say, this is pointless. This does nothing. And, uh, you know, eventually it came back and um, I had the help of, I, I developed a, a much closer friendship with, a, with a, a good buddy of mine who I'm still friends with to this day who is, uh, he's not a metalhead, he's not anything. He was, he was actually the opposite. We shouldn't have gotten along at all. Um, when we first met, we, we'd gotten closer after we first, when we first met, we were like groomed together in college. And I saw his stuff before he saw me and, I, and he saw my stuff before he saw me. <laughs> and he had like suits and prep clothes and basketballs and all this kind of, I was like, oh dude. <laughs> and like this bible and this like baptist thing i was like oh man this is gonna be rough <laughs> I was like, all right well i need to make sure i make a statement so i was like what's the most inflammatory stuff i had so i had like this and i had this satanic bible over here where i was like whatever <laughs> i can find that's really gonna piss him off and like cannibal <laughs> costs and all sorts of stuff like let me just put it all out there <laughs> and we when we first met each other we were like sizing each other up oh man <laughs> but what was interesting is that we both like we, we we were both prepared not to like each other and we'd actually talk to our friends and families about this other person we hadn't met yet but then we we decided to let our guard down and just kind of talk and we found out we both loved like crappy movies and all this other kind of stuff and then we really started to bond and it was actually because of our differences that we we became very close um and so he but he was always supporting. He'd always come out to the shows and everything. He'd try to find really? something to like and everything. He was very. He came to your shows. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would, I came, I came to like a game or two and nice. all this kind of stuff. Like you know, he was, he was at the time like going to be a coach and all this kind of stuff. But uh, he, um, you know, I was, I was uh, the best man in his wedding, all this kind of stuff. Oh my he god, was, that's he so was the awesome! Best man at my wedding. Um, you know, it was just, it was one of those kinds of things. Like it's, it's. Um, it was crazy. Um, and he's been there for me like since then, like when all sorts of terrible things have happened to me. Um, and you know, I'm there for him, all that kind of stuff. So it was a, one of those things like we, we had made this friendship and then we kind of, we'd lost it just a little bit, but then we had kind of somehow like rekindled and kind of got going again. And we ended up saying like, let's get an apartment together. We lived together for like seven years. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of crazy, like how long I've known this guy. Um, but um, anyway, uh, 
you know, it was things like that, like just finding somebody to talk with who didn't judge me. Like he, he didn't judge me for that stuff. He didn't understand the depression, didn't understand the guilt, didn't understand any of the stuff, but he never judged me. He, he just listened and he was there for me. And he would just simply say the same kinds of things I say to people. And they say, I don't know what to say to someone. And I, he just, he would just say, you know, I hear you. He would listen and he would say, well, I care about you. You matter to me. And like, that's enough. People, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a mental health expert. You don't have to be a, a psychiatrist or anything like that. You just have to be able to, to talk to someone and just listen and just say, um, I hear you yeah. or just ask, like, are you okay? Are you going to be okay? Or just tell someone, Hey, you matter to me. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, that, that goes a long way. Um, so, and eventually, like I still didn't, I didn't talk about Eve much. The first time I ever did was, was I wrote about it, wrote this, uh, this is back in the MySpace days. Um, I wrote a thing about her, but I, I didn't say her name, but I wrote this thing about her. And then, um, Eventually I could say her name, but I get all upset. And then, you know, as time went on, so I'd been at Eve, I'd started writing for years that whole album. I started writing those songs, kind of trying to process it because I was thinking like there wasn't, wasn't music I needed at the time. Um, I needed something different. I needed, Yeah, you know, there, there was music out there that either kind of embraced what it was like to be suicidal. There was flowery, poetic music that sort of reflected on missing someone who was gone or something like that. There really wasn't something that addressed what it felt like to go through what I went through. And um, that's what I wanted to do with Eve was to try to translate that whole, the whole experience into something tangible and you know what is it like what is it like to simultaneously want to die and then lose somebody and how like what if guilt kept you alive it's a weird thing it's hard to even describe to people yeah um and i decided then i wanted to, to help people and it drove me to want to be more of a, a better teacher and things like that. So I um, dedicated myself to teaching, got a master's degree, all this other kind of stuff. And um, I wanted to help people and I wanted to save lives and I wanted to reach people through music and through kind of strengthening them, making them stronger. And so, you know, like you would see me at certain band camps and stuff like that with students and I'm like a drill sergeant like making them do push-ups all this other kind of stuff but they didn't understand at the time many of them did later um and many of them tested to it later um that it did kind of it helped them and it did them a lot of good even though they didn't feel like doing that kind of stuff it was a there's it's almost it's a purification right and it does a lot of good for them you know to to do that exercise and to to become a part of this group and everything and them suffering together and all this kind of stuff. In many ways, sometimes them hating me right then as like the bad drill sergeant kind of thing, they would bond and they felt like they belonged. They would become a family. They would become a team and they could lean on each other and they would all, it would kind of be an epiphany later. Like that's, that's what kind of solidifies those bonds is these experiences. You know, you got to go through a little something to really strengthen these bonds. Um, 
And so, you know, trying to strengthen the body while strengthening the mind kind of thing, right? Um, which there, there is a connection between that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the mind-body connection is, is, very, is very real. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I would see it in students where, you know, the confidence would go up and they would feel, they would, they would carry themselves differently because they had started, you know, you working a little harder and doing these kinds of things, but also finding their voice through music and being able to kind of express some things or being able to control an emotion or something like that um, and translate that into sound, which to me is magic. I, I would always say like, you know, music, music is the, the purest form of magic that you're ever going to find because think okay. about it for just a second. You're, you're, I'm going to create these sounds, you know, say I'm, I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to sing you a song. And I could, through manipulating my voice in these ways and through certain vibrations, I can affect you in certain ways, you know, emotionally. I can make, I could draw up memories that you didn't think about for a long time that I don't have any way of knowing about, but I can pluck them out of your head and bring them to the forefront as you think like, wow, I haven't thought about this in a long time. Or, you know, if it's, you know, if someone you, you, you feel a connection with or something like that, like you can make, you can bring someone, you know, goosebumps with the sound you can make, you know, <laughs> if you want to get romantic about things, you make someone's heart go a flutter uh, <laughs> or whatever, you know, like it's, it really is magic. Cause when you think about it, I said, you know, you're creating art. And I would, I remember saying this to them before every concert. So what's magical about this is that we're going to create art that everyone's going to experience at the same time. And then it disappears. We can't grab it. We can't hold it. We can't touch it. It just exists and then it goes away. So that's what makes it magic is these vibrations, very specific vibrations we're going to send out there and you're going to affect people's emotions. You're going to affect people's thought processes. You're yeah. going to affect people's moods just with these, with this energy and vibration you're going to put out there. And then the energy they give you as the audience, you're going to feed off of that. You're going to feel them. They're going to feel you. You're going to have this entire experience. You're going to have this very intimate experience and you're never going to share a word. You may not ever know their names. Um, and so like people who've seen me perform live, they, they, I've had a very intimate experience with these people and I don't know most of them. Um, they know a hell of a lot about me. Um, but that's, that's what kind of, that's, that's what makes music the perfect vehicle for this kind of stuff. That's why so many of us retreat to it in terms of uh, mental health and all this kind of stuff. So I decided I wanted to teach it. I want to, I want to make an album that will express this. Like every album before Eve was kind of dealing with other kinds of things. If you go back to my back catalog, I started the Reticent as a side project when I was in this uh, war metal band called Werewolf, which was the remnants of like, talk about so how weird these connections are. Werewolf was what happened to a band called Dark Moon. Um, when John, who was the front man of Dark Moon, joined a band called Nile, the guys from Were Dark Moon started Werewolf. I joined Werewolf. You fast forward a couple of years, now I'm in Zyle with the guy who who is playing the same position in Nile that John played. It's just sort of like... <laughs> it all came full circle. It's weird. It's weird. Weird kind of thing. Um, but anyway, like I had, I had these like soft songs, these, these sad things. And I had, you know, the story of my love life is... is is a try I would say I'd make an album about it I already did uh which was just all these like 
you know, how could you do this to me kind of stuff in this album called Amor Mortem Eret, which is Love Will Be the Death of Me in Latin and um, all these just every song, just some failed relationship thing. Um, and so I, I had done these kind of like little bitty kind of micro expressions, but Eve was kind of being written in the background behind that. And then uh, one day I decided I don't want the reticent to be a, an acoustic side project anymore. It's going to be my main thing. So I'm going to take all my energy, put it into it and, and play whatever the hell I want. Um, and I'm not going to limit myself. I'm not even going to care what the genre is. Um, I found out that it was Prague. I didn't really, I just wrote it. You know what I mean? And um, so, you know, I, I was able to put that together. Um, there are things I, I think are great about it. The things I, I think are not so great about it, but um, <clears throat> we then took it out on the, on the road and, and talked to people and helped people and as much as we could. And um, sometimes we were successful. Sometimes we weren't. Um, probably one of the worst, worst things that I've ever experienced as a musician was a guy, a guy named Grant Bowen, young man um, from Virginia. Uh, I had found out um, it's kind of a bad story. I won't, I've already taken up so much time talking. No, about no, just the, uh, the uh, Grant was a fan. He was a fan of the reticent, really, really liked it. Actually had, I think like all the records and all this kind of stuff and thought Eve was the bee's knees. And um, I found out through his mother who was, uh, who hated me with a passion because he had taken his life and Eve was playing on repeat in his room when she found him. And um, I was devastated. I, I remember I messaged everybody I knew and I, uh, I was like, I'm a monster. What have I done? Um, and I, I said, I said, I think I have to quit. I think I have to, we need to just take the rest down. I think to erase every trace of this from the earth, this is poison. What, what, oh my God, you know, all this stuff. And, um, I just, uh, it was, it was like the absolute antithesis of everything I wanted to accomplish. Um, and, the mother uh, blamed me for it and said, you killed my son and all this stuff. And it was awful. And, uh, <sighs> you know, this is all on social media so people could see it. And um, I think a lot of it might still be up. Um, I'm so sorry but, uh, to hear that. You know, a lot of people that came to my defense, singers from other bands, like were, were saying like, you know, you do not know this guy. Like he works harder than anybody else, you know, to help people right, um, right. and all this kind of stuff. And um I eventually got to talk to her um, and she actually apologized to me and she said, I'm sorry, you know, I was full of grief and I needed someone to blame. And she's, she then later said, I think that he wasn't listening to your album to get the courage to do that. I think he was listening to your album because he wanted to feel comfort. Yeah. And uh, his uh, father uh, he corresponded with me via email actually sent me pictures of him sent me recordings of his he was a guitar player sent me songs he wrote and stuff like that um, and there's a dedication to him I don't have a copy of the CD in here but he's he's one of the three people that Oubliette is dedicated to the memory of um, and it meant a lot to me like the, his father told me about how like Grant like shared the reticent with him he was like man you guys gotta listen to this band I love this band and all stuff and you know, I felt bad because he said like he'd seen me live like twice or something like that. And 
you know, I, I didn't, I don't know if I ever met him. I don't know that he ever came up to talk to me. Maybe he just came to the show and left, which is fine, you know. Um, but uh, I don't know. I feel bad that I wasn't able to help him. Um, and so I carry that forward. Um, but, you know, all those experiences, all that stuff, that whole amalgamation, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of why I talk so openly about this stuff. That's why I am the way I am. Because I'd rather, I'd rather be honest and risk the ridicule and remind people that, you know, I'm human too, you're human. Um, it's okay to hurt like this. It's okay to, it's okay to say the words, I don't want to live anymore. It's okay to do any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but there's ways to kind of get through that and everything. But if you shut down and you don't tell anybody and just like Grant, where his parents had no idea and they didn't have any clue. And that's why, well, he, the, this music must have made him do it because he couldn't have, but then they, you know, so they put it together and talk to some other people, look at things he wrote. It's like, Oh, you know, there are some signs that I didn't see. And it's kind of like Eve, you know, same thing. Like you look back and you say, well, you know, maybe this was a sign. Maybe this was something. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of why I do, do that now. And, um, you know, there, there are people that, that could certainly, um, you could accuse, uh, talk very depressively, or make suicidal proclamations uh, that are insincere or wanting to get attention. But I, I really think that if you, if you look at it, if you look at how people talk, you know, if we just, if we just edu educate ourselves in the slightest, the difference is very obvious to me. Like I have, I have a friend on social media who um, posts stuff all the time like the most oppressive things and i know she doesn't mean a word of it i don't think less of her i don't think she's a terrible person or anything like that i think that she needs some help um and i think she just really wants really wants attention she really wants someone to say i care about you i worry about you and that's saying those kinds of things can get that for her um i don't engage because of that fact i you know i'm not gonna I'm not going to kind of play those, those sorts of games. And, um, because you don't feel like it's sincere. You, well, yeah. And it's just sort of like, that's, that's not where my expertise is. Uh, well, gosh, I say expertise. Like I know what I'm talking about <laughs> where, where the majority of my experiences and my, um, ongoing education, uh, is centered. Um, and that's, that's where, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's where you can, you can see it in kind of the way people, people talk, the way people act. Um, and uh, I get called on it. Uh, sometimes I, I do like I'll give you an example. I, I do uh, avoidant behavior. Um, if you, you know, I invite you to look on my Facebook, scroll down to some time where I say something like, I'm glad you're alive or this or the other thing. And there's lots of replies. And then look at how many times people might say, how are you doing? What about you? Or this or the other thing and watch how I will dodge that question. And I will make it about them. I'll do what redirects called avoidant behavior. And it's a way of trying to avoid being honest, avoid saying 
what's really going on. Um, but isn't that what you, what you do? Mm -hmm. So why would you avoid it? Um, many times if I'm saying that kind of stuff, I've said those, those words like, hey, I'm really glad you're listening to the other thing uh, as a part of almost like a cognitive behavioral therapy thing. And I want to avoid, uh, I want to avoid dealing with um, what's going on with me. Okay. I need to focus on something else. I need to focus on someone else. And so, you know, and that's, that's kind of a, a good segue into just sort of, you know, like the, the attention seeking people. I mean, they're still, many of them can still actually be in legitimate pain. Many of them can be all that kind of stuff. They just, attention's, attention's a funny thing, man. I mean, it's like a drug. And I mean, think about, think about now, like, why is that even more prevalent now? I mean, the state of social media, like we're, we're in love with attention. We're in love with ourselves. Um, we grow all the more solipsistic and we kind of, many of us adjudicate ourselves based on metrics. You know, how many friends do we have? How many likes did I get? Yeah. Well, you know what? A lot of people liked this, but nobody loved it. So maybe, maybe it's not really good, or maybe it's not this, or I put up a picture of myself, but you know, not all these people commented on what make me, am I, am I ugly? Is that what the problem is? All this kind of stuff. And it's just sort of, you know, I see that in my kids. Um, you know, my students do that. Uh, they, they struggle with that kind of stuff. And it's, it's part of the reason we see a continual uptick in this kind of stuff because we're, we're kind of, we're defining well-being for many of us through ridiculous metrics, uh, you know, and like people are defining their self-worth through how many likes or followers they have on social media. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I think that um, has, that's a big contributor to why there's been a, an uprise in depression and low self-esteem, especially for young kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, it's rampant across, across the board for, for adolescents and everything. Um, I think young girls are, are, are particularly um, vulnerable to that, oh. uh, you know, and I mean, you know, I had to, I had to learn about it for some, some of my own research, you know, just about, I remember learning about things like filters. I had no idea what a filter was. Um, I was thinking like high pass filter, low pass filter, like in a studio, you know, it was like, no, you can, you can make yourself look completely different. Like you can change everything about your, your appearance. I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's weird. That's cool. I guess like for just a laugh, but man, that can, that can really do some damage to one's self image really fast. Uh, if you live in filters, if you live in a, in a, idealized state it's sort of like if i you know if i always sang with lots of auto-tune or something like that and i was like man i could sing really well and then i went out to people I'm like ah. <laughs> or like god man you're awful <laughs> what i'm wonderful and it's it's not that i'm trying to tell people like they can't they can't feel prettier they can't do this it's just sort of a thing of like we have to part of mental health is dealing with reality right. like there's got to be like, I'm a big, I'm a big David Goggins fan. I believe that, you know, 
you have to sort of embrace some suffering. Suffering is not necessarily inherently bad. It's just a part of life. Right. It's just one of those things we have to deal with. We have to learn how to deal with. We have to learn how to cope with it. We have to learn what to do with it, right? And that's kind of the, that's the main thrust of all that kind of stuff that we've got to get to is just sort of learning how to just accept certain things like, you know, um, and then like decide to do things about it. like I, I said, you know what, I, I, I don't like my physical appearance at all. I feel I don't like feeling weak or this or the you know what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to work out. That's what I'm going to do. And so last year, like I embarked on this journey and I lost like 30 something pounds and was just doing body weight stuff and pushups and I bought a bunch of weights and all this other kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to reach these goals. I'm not there where I want to be yet, but it was a thing of, I had one point in my life had kind of done that stuff and I let it go. And I was like, I need to stop making excuses, get it done. What's going on here? Mm -hmm. Hold yourself accountable. And it has, it, it helps you a lot mentally to be able to just kind of embrace reality some. Now it's not that you don't go through struggles with that kind of thing, but part of the journey of, of mental health is changing the circumstance. Depression is this cycle and you have to do something to disrupt the cycle. If you don't do anything to disrupt the cycle, well, it, it doesn't change. Um, and we can fall in love with that. There's a, there's a Nirvana lyric that I thought was absolutely beautiful and perfect. It's, it, it was, especially knowing what we know now about Kurt Cobain, people can think what they want about him. I know, poser, who likes Nirvana? Like, whatever. But he wrote a line that said, I miss the comfort in being sad. Yeah, now, oh, I, that, I always felt that. That was a line from a song that was actually fairly upbeat. And it was on an album where they had decided, like they, they had done this nevermind thing. Um, Kurt Cobain famously didn't like the production because it was really poppy, really clean. And so on in utero, that follow-up, it was very grimy, grungy kind of stuff. More like going back to their roots. Yeah. And you notice like in there, he says things like, I miss the comfort in being sad. It's sort of a you know, to me, it was almost like, well, he was a superstar at this point. And so like, he, you know, maybe he felt like he didn't have an excuse to be sad anymore. Or maybe he, he had achieved this thing. So now like, now what do you do? What do you do after you get your dream? Right. What do you dream about when you captured it? Um, like, I don't know, like, you know, if I, if I played like Vakken or something like that, or got to go on tour with like BT Bam or Opeth or something like that, or whatever it started to be like well what now what um <laughs> you know that's that's kind of you know it's almost like the top of the mountain and this and this guy climbed a mountain he didn't even have an inkling would even be possible when they when he started and so he says this line i miss the comfort in being sad there's there is and i've i've felt it i think anybody that's ever felt depression there's a familiarity and a comfort that comes with that depression. It feels, and I'll tell you what it is. It feels honest. You can trust it. I can trust that pain. If I think you're going to, it's, 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 you know, it's what's made me kind of, it's not necessarily like a bad friend, but like bad, especially like in romantic relationships, what may be bad because I would just expect like, well, you're going to, so obviously you're going to cheat on me. You're going to lie to me. You're going to do this to me. Like that's going to happen. I know that's going to happen because I can trust that. I can trust that pain. Pain is real. The idea that you actually like me for me or any of that kind of stuff. 
well, now, wait a second. I got to, I got to kind of learn about that. I got to, I got to believe that kind of stuff. No, no, it's, it's much easier for me to just trust the familiar pain over here because the pain doesn't lie to me. Right. You're going to lie to me. And all of a sudden you become fucking Gollum with your precious. <laughs> um, and, but I mean, that's really true. And, and people that don't have depression, they kind of, they see that as you being stubborn. They see that being as being facile or whatever. And it's not that we can excuse that behavior because it's not really, it's not fair. It isn't fair, especially in interpersonal relationships. That's not fair. Yeah. Just flat out. Um, and it took me a long time to learn that, right? Um, which is one reason why I'm a lot more open now and why I'm willing to just kind of give somebody the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to give you a little rope and I'm going to trust you to tell me you, that I can't trust you. Um, cause that's the way I, that's the world I'd prefer to live in right. rather than thinking everybody is out to get me or something like that. So I wish I had learned it a long time ago and avoided a lot of heartache, but it is what it is. Right. But depression, like when you feel that, that I hate myself or you're nothing, or I want to die or this idea that when you feel that kind of stuff and you felt it for a long time, it, that familiarity is comforting in a very bizarre way that people that have never experienced it don't understand. Right. And that's why it's easy to retreat to. That's why it's easy to fall back into the pattern. We're, we're, we're creatures of habit. We are constantly searching for homeostasis. And let's say you've been depressed for most of your life, most of your time, whatever. Lonely, this idea of thing. It feels normal. Yes. You know, and that's, that's the thing. That's what people don't understand is, you know, I'm, I don't want to be solipsistic. I want to like hang out with people. I want to do more. I want to, to try to get out there. Like, you know, again, if you, if you follow me on social media, like every once in a while, you might see something like who wants to come over and watch a movie. Like no one ever does, but like just me saying that kind of thing is sort of like a, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself out there and say, Hey, somebody, you know, because like one day somebody's going to say, Hey, let's go get something to eat. Or I'll say, I'll say someone's going to take me up and I'll be like, all right, let's go. Let's meet up. Let's make it happen. Um, you know, it's, it's a way of trying to break that, that cycle of, well, you know, no one's around or I'm lonely or this or the other thing. What was me? Um, I got to do something to kind of break out of that sort of thing. Cause if I don't want that to be normal anymore, I have to create a new normal. Right. That's where people fall. That's, that's, you know, the way I was able to get lose weight and, 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 start you know, attempting to like build muscle and things like that. Not that, I, not that I'm anywhere even close is I started to say my new normal is I work out every day. That's the, that's the normal. That's just how it's going to be. I'm going to stick to this. And for people that are dealing with depression, a lot of times it's hard for them to just say, I need to make a new normal. And that's why when I, when I talk to people or try to help people through this kind of stuff, I, I ask them about what little things you could do today. What's a victory you could get today. I say, did you take a shower today? Why don't you go take a shower, take like a good shower, wash everything under the feet, the whole nine yards, give yourself like, get yourself really, really clean and then towel off completely and put on some new clothes. It could just be like t-shirt and shorts, whatever, like just, just do that. If you did that, want you try like brushing your teeth as well. How you feel now? Now they're not going to magically feel better, but they're going to have that much more kind of going because they did a little something. What else could we do? You know, what's a little thing you could do? Depression robs us of a sense of purpose. That's what makes us so immobile. That's what makes it so effective as a virus and making that cycle work. 
it takes a purpose away from you. It takes, you know, what's the point? What's the point in this? What's the point in that? And if you can reevaluate and kind of put that stuff back in, that oftentimes helps a lot, you know? Um, so I always, I don't know, like when, when I'm talking with people that, that come to me, I oftentimes ask like, you know, so, you know, who are you or what do you, what are you about? And what's important to you? And if you could do anything today, what would you do? And all those kinds of things. Um, and there's ways to kind of accomplish goals and, and other things like on these small scales that can help you kind of chip away at things. And the important thing is to like try to make those things the new normal. Say, okay, okay this is this is the normal. And you know, I'm living proof that that does not fix it. It does not automatically change everything overnight. Um, I backslide, I fall constantly. Um, I did not deal with with my major depressive stuff even after I got diagnosed. I didn't deal with it for years. And I mean, like double digits years, I just ignored it. Um, and, uh, so it took a, it took a long time and a lot of mistakes to kind of learn that. And so for me, that is normal. And like, I totally get it. That's again, what people don't understand. Even the folks going back to the attention seeking kind of behavior. Sometimes that's all, you know, and I don't blame these people for that. I don't blame anybody for wanting attention. Right. I don't blame the, 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 the guy that's, you know, posting on social media all the time, trying to get a laugh or this other thing. I don't blame the girl who's posting like very scantily clad kind of things. I don't say like, Oh, she just wants to, I'm just like, everybody wants attention. That's, that's part of this. It's a human need. We right. need to connect with others. Um, I don't, I don't blame anybody for these things. I get it. Um, but I mean, and you know what? Each of those people, the, the person posting the memes, the person posting like sexy photos, the person that's saying like, I don't want to live anymore, like all this kind of stuff. Every one of those people could be, all those actions could be coming from the same place of depression. Every one of them. Yeah. Trying to make people laugh is a way of trying to cure your own depression. Trying to, t someone tell me I'm beautiful. Someone tell me I'm attractive. Is it a way of trying to give me, I need it. I need some, some, some positive chemicals in my brain. Somebody tell me something good about myself. Some That's sort of validation. Yeah. I mean, those things, and I'm not saying they're, they're all good or bad. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to comment on that kind of thing. It's not really my place, but that's what a lot of times those things are. And I think you might find that many times, many of the people who might be the most social, the most outgoing, the most this, that, the other thing, they oftentimes have those huge struggles and they do a lot of these things to, to, to try to combat their own demons, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know, I've, I've kind of just launched into the, the world's longest tangent but uh it's uh it's difficult to understand and that's that's why depression gets a bad rap people think depression is what happens after you have a breakup you know i get depressed and well i mean it can be but it's so much more than that 
Yeah, it can, it can be a trigger for that kind of thing. But like, it's sort of like for people like me who study this stuff, if you say the word depression to me, I'm thinking of a clinical problem. I'm right. thinking of that kind of thing. I'm thinking of a state of mind you, you can't really seem to break out of. Um, I like to put it as sort of like when I, when I get into those places, I become immune to joy. I become immune to laughter or anything like that. I, I'm, That's a good way so, to describe it. It's almost like I've been inoculated against anything that feels good. Yeah. And so that's kind of the difference. It's not a, I'm feeling an overwhelming sense of grief, sorrow, loss, these, and, and those are very real. I'm not saying suffering a breakup or anything like that. Any of, the, any of these triggers of depression, loss, breakups, you know, job troubles, like any, any of these kinds of things. They're 100% legitimate. And the, and the grief you feel from those things is 100% legitimate and can be devastating. I'm just saying it's, it's, not, it's not worse or less than depression. I'm saying it's a different thing. Yeah. Because it has, we, we can trace it to a cause and that, that, that we can kind of work through those things potentially and everything. With depression over here, it doesn't have a cause. When I get up in the morning and I suddenly don't want to live anymore, I can't point to something. I can't say, well, I can't play this keyboard very well. So I just, if I practice more, that will fix that. I will feel better about myself. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way depression works. It's not logical. It's an interruption of the logical center of your brain. That's, what, that's why it's this cycle. I suck because I suck because I suck. And therefore I suck which makes me suck. So therefore I suck. It's, <laughs> it's, it's circular logic and it, it isn't reasonable. You can't reason your way out of it. Again, the people that are not prone to depression, they kind of, they always come to these folks with the, that's, that's why they're, that's why they go about it the wrong way. You can't reason somebody out of major depressive disorder. You can't reason right. someone out of bipolar disorder. You can't reason somebody out of these states of mind because they're not reasonable. They're, they're not logical. I don't hate myself because, oh, I did X, Y, or Z. It's a, I just hate myself because I existed. And sort of like, well, that's not really logical. Bingo. Now you get it. It's not logical. So how do you get out of it? Well, you have to, you have to kind of work at it. You have to get the, the person to, to sort of start to find a way to break out of the cycle and find a way you know out that's why so many times we just ask people to talk many times people will find their own way out or at least kind of get them to the next day and when i say find their way out i don't mean they're now cured i mean they find their way out of kind of maybe like this path that's going to lead them down to destruction mm -hmm. they might be able to kind of fear off okay um and sometimes them kind of talking about it can can help but it's that caring that that sort of i hear you you, I value you. You are important to me. And you can tell me all this stuff and I'm not going to judge you for it. That sort of validation and all those kinds of things, that can release a little of that dopamine. It can release a little bit of that positive energy that they may need to go forward, even if they didn't realize that. And they may not realize it at the time. Like they may have been planning to take their life. And then after talking to somebody, maybe they, they still feel ultra depressed, but they don't they're not saying I'm going to go get the gun right now. Mm -hmm. And those, by the way, those are the victories. 
it's not about trying to cure someone overnight. It's about just trying to get them through to tomorrow. Because mm-hmm. that's that's the break we get. The only thing we get, the 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 only thing that we we have on our side is that right now we're breathing, and all signs point to us being able to get up tomorrow and do something. And that's worth a lot. It's worth a lot more than people think it is. Um, we devalue that a lot in popular culture and how we talk and all this kind of stuff. And I know it's it's really fun to meme about. But I've been, I've been on the other side of a gun. Um, if, if I'm frank, if it were not for a jammed gun, I would not be here. Um, I know some friends of mine who consider that to be some like divine intervention, divine intervention thing. Um, I think of it as poor craftsmanship, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, but it really is true. Like, I've, I mean, I've looked down into a box and seen somebody that I know that is not someone I knew. And they're not coming back. They're, I'm not going to be able to talk to them again. I'm not going to be able to say anything to them again. And I've lost some people like Adam King, who the last words I said to him were, fuck you. We had a big fight. I'm never going to get to apologize. And I was wrong. I was wrong. I'm never going to be able to say to Adam, I was wrong and I'm sorry. That's just how it is. That chapter closed with that on my conscience. And there's nothing I can do to unmake it. And I can help tons of people. I can do all these wonderful things. Um, but I can't make amends to, to Adam. That's just how it is. So having been face to face with all these kind of final things, like I had a period of time in the early 2000s where like so many people died around me, like seven people died within three years. And it was a lot of death at one time, a lot to process. And, you know, I realized, you know, and that's something that Henry Rollins talked about after Joe Cole was killed, you know, his, his best friend, he saw him get killed during a robbery. Yeah. And, you know, he said the same thing. He said, you know, as, as bad as life gets, life is, life is awesome because, you know, you, you got one. Um, the alternative of looking into this box that contains your friend is, you know, it sucks in comparison. You know, as, as, as succinct uh, as, that, as that may be to, to put it, um, it's the truth. And um, so, I mean, that's why I try to, I try to keep that stuff in mind and, 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 um, you know, I'm trying to make, make the most of, of my time. Um, and so like I decided, you know, the way to fight against this is figure out my purpose. My purpose is to help people. My purpose is to make music and I want to find ways to do both. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to eliminate suffering in the world or anything like that. Um, but I want to see if I can help people figure out a way to use it um to maybe do something that will you know make them feel better um but yeah i spent uh i spent a lot of time very alone um and i had to kind of learn how to be stronger to take some of these things and um 
want to I want to see if I can help others maybe not feel that way and that's what I want other people to do is just I'm not saying you have to be sunshines and rainbows I'm, I'm saying you need to be be compassionate and even even the people that that might annoy you with their depression or their this that the other thing or their attention seeking it's sort of like well yeah you seek attention too we all do you posted that funny meme because you want people to laugh at it you didn't post it because you're some you know esoteric genius like and you're doing some aristotelian <laughs> pontification about the world you want people to laugh you want to impact people and you want you want that little dopamine release of people think I'm funny or something like that. That's a healthy thing. It's okay. Yeah. You know, the, and it's no different than anything else. Like I want, I want to, to, I post positive things or, you know, whatever I post, like wanting to maybe help somebody out and make the day better. And so it means a lot to me when somebody says like, you know, this helped me or, or this or the other thing, or, you know, it also helps me like when I'm struggling and other people put on there again, you can kind of like, I make, that's another reason if you ever notice, like my Facebook is public. All my posts are public for the most part. I didn't notice that. And if you go back and look, you'll notice every one of those things, even things about me and what I'm going through, they'll be public for the most part. And it's because I'm not going to hide. And I want this, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to be, that's, it's even, even little details like that. No one, no one notices, no one cares, but it's like, I'm not hiding this. I'm going to be as forthright with this as possible. And, you know, I hurt or I'm this or I'm that, or I want you to be okay. And if you can read these words, I'm glad you're alive. Doesn't matter what, you know, you can hate me and all this kind of stuff. And there's people that, that do, I had to, I had to block somebody a while back because he just he wouldn't leave me alone um and like it just got it got to be too much like i even had the thing like to ignore like i found out there was like a button on messenger where you could like ignore somebody and it would just automatically kind of put their messages aside um but i at the same time was going through a bunch of stuff and i've got you know health issues and other things i'm going through those those kinds of things i don't like to talk about um but uh i was just going through a lot and this guy I'd known a couple of years, reached out to me. He's going through some stuff and I'm on the phone with another friend who's, she's having a crisis and he's messaging me and then I'm not responding to him. And, and he, he gets all pissed off. Like, I guess you don't really care about me. And, and I was just like, well, dude, I, I'm, I'm, I can't be everywhere at once. I got to help people, you know, where I can. And I'm, I'm on the phone, man. I can't like text you and talk to her at the same time. And um, so I said, I'm sorry for what you're going through. I'm not trying to ignore you. Um, I said, I really don't appreciate you kind of suggesting I don't give a shit, um, and all this kind of stuff because I was slow to reply to you. Mm-hmm. But, um, so eventually, like he kept writing to me and I had to ignore him. And then eventually like, he started every time I'd post like, Hey, I'm glad you're alive. He would like comment bomb it with, I don't believe you're full of shit. So like, I had to just block the guy, yeah. but like, even him, I don't hate him. I don't wish him bad. I don't hope horrible things happen to him. I hope he's okay. I hope he did get, get through the struggles he was having. I hope he's okay. Um, you know, so that's, I really am trying to be trying to put that out there to the world, you know? Fuck. (laughs) I think you should just take over this podcast. You were, (laughs) you are so much more fucking wise than I am. 
Um, I think I only cried in the first episode, which is kind of funny because in the last episode I talked about like stuff that I had gone through and um, like I thought maybe I would have a hard time with it, but I was pretty okay. But fuck, man, when you were talking about suicide and you know how you had that gun by your side and how you just you almost did it there's been so many times I mean I think about it all the time I think about it all the time actually I haven't told this to anybody a big reason why I started this podcast is to hold myself account accountable for something so I so I don't do it because I I'm pretty isolated you know I most of my life I have spent alone and it's like good friends have been few and far in between and I've just I've been a very damaged person for a really long time and um, you know it wasn't until recently within this last year that I finally began my healing journey but I I still have you know suicidal thoughts and um, there's so many times I don't know why when I think about doing it I always think about hanging myself so I guess if I were to do it that would be the way But when I started this, I was like, you know, I know I'm not the only one who's feeling this way. And I know that this is something that I need personally. It, it just makes me feel better personally to talk to people that are going through the same thing. And if it makes me feel better, then obviously there's going to be somebody else that really needs it too. They need something to relate to. They need authentic human connection, which in this whole social media world is so hard to come by nowadays. Everybody is fucking using filters and being just um just inhuman they're they're being so fucking inhuman towards each other and everyone's expected to be cold and callous like it's a sign of strength when really in reality it's a sign of weakness because you're just covering the hurt that's underneath that and i think when people have the courage to be authentic about their suffering it taps into the part of of those people that are trying to hide that for themselves you know what i mean yeah and it reminds them that they're human so a big part of me doing the show is reminding people of their humanity and and bringing everyone in this community closer together hopefully i mean i know that's kind of ambitious to say but with so many fucking subgenres and I I feel like musicians are always competing against each other. Like, why don't we just go back to the root of why we started creating music in the first place, the emotional resonance behind it and the depth and, and, and purity of our souls. You know what I mean? And I just, I can easily say this is going to be one of the most important fucking episodes that is ever going to come out on this show. I, I cannot thank you enough for everything that you just shared. Like, holy shit, dude. I just, I was getting choked up there. I'm sorry. I got kind of sniffly. Like (laughs) I wasn't ready. (laughs) Like my foundation is all fucked up. I don't even care, but I just, holy shit, Chris, like you're, I don't mean to sound familiar, but you, I think you're beautiful. I think what you're doing is beautiful. I cannot express my gratitude enough. Like I feel so grateful to have connected with you you know, when you just randomly add a person on Facebook, it's like, oh, this guy looks cool. That chick's hot, whatever. You don't really, (laughs) you know, you don't really think that it's gonna lead to any depth or interpersonal connection. And so I, I feel so grateful that you had the strength 
and fucking just authenticity to do this with me. And I, you know, I get excited when people get excited about it too, because it's like, okay, cool. I'm not the only one who's passionate about mental health. And it's like, yeah, and you're so fucking just smart and educated on the mental health. Um, all that stuff. Yeah. Thing, whatever. <laughs> I oh, just, yeah. I just feel so, I haven't even watched your show and I feel overwhelmed. Okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> your presence is powerful you have power you have something very very special and I I hope that you see it I really do because what you're trying to do with your music is what I'm trying to do with this show but music taps into a frequency that can reach people on a much deeper level on a soul level you know what I mean yeah. and that I mean I want to make music too precisely for that purpose um, I want to take people through a journey of catharsis, which is what it sounds like you're doing with the reticent. So, and you know, you're just, you're doing it sonically. You're tapping into people's fucking souls sonically. And yeah. like, I really, oh my God, I have to see you. I have to see you live. There's no way that I'm not going to see you. Like once you start touring again, please hit me up. Let me know. Like I have to be there and I want to meet you in person and we should totally hang out. Like <laughs> I hope <laughs> if you're down you know i'm not gonna be like hey be my friend but <laughs> like, like i mean this this you know i uh i respect you a great deal for for being forthright and and doing this kind of thing it does take a lot of courage just to not even not even have the um the veil of of a song but just to kind of put yourself out there as you are i, I have a great admiration for what you're doing um, and, and deep appreciation for it. And, you know, you are, you are not alone in it. Like you have, you know, you, you definitely have me as a friend. Um, we are, we, we are definitely connected now. And um, so, uh, you know, if you ever feel at all kind of alone or anything like that, as you were saying, as we all do, um, you have me in your corner a hundred percent. And I'm, I'm, you know, phone call away or something like that. Okay. Uh, truly uh so and and it's it's really this is an important kind of thing just being able to get people talking about this kind of thing because as as the same thing you, you just mentioned catharsis the way you kind of feel it's sort of an overwhelming thing but it, it's it's almost a release of going through these things hurting a little bit talking about this kind of stuff and then at the end it's sort of a way man this is it's there, I, there's someone else here like you want to to touch them like if you know I, I would love to 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 embrace you and say like man we're 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 together here like I feel you you feel me like we're we're connected and I think it, you know, sharing conversations like this and ideas like this that's that's part of it getting people to to just uh, to to connect uh, a little bit and um I mean, that's, that's kind of the nice thing about the podcast world is that it's this unscripted, um, off the cuff kind of conversational thing. It, it doesn't have the veneer of filtered, you know, pictures. It doesn't have the carefully exactly. worded posts kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's a raw, real thing. And we can maybe see people's real humanity and everything, uh, flaws and all, you know, stumblings and all like, you know, we forget words. We, we stumble over things. Uh, in my case, you, you talk way too much, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, um, but that's, that's, that's why I think this is a great thing. And I'm glad that you're doing something with such a purpose. I mean, you know, I've been on, I've been on a lot of podcasts here since Oubliette came out and, um, 
it's been really great because I've been able to talk about like Alzheimer's and, and encouraging people to go research Alzheimer's and what they can do to get involved and everything. Um, but oftentimes it like comes back to like, let's talk about the, the album. Let's talk about this. And um, many times the folks are really nice because I want to just talk about issues and all this other kind of stuff. Oh, you're it. perfect for me. This is, yeah. it's more about getting to know the people behind the music and not so, I mean, it is about the music also, but I want to know the musicians behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that's just, it's just a very, very good thing. So uh, I'm, I'm just extremely grateful to you to, to give not just me, but, but other people a, a place to, to talk about these kinds of things, to share these kinds of stories and, and, uh, and to put it out there into the world. And um, I mean, it's kind of like reticent. Like I'm, I'm amazed at the, uh, the, the fact that anybody listens to the reticent. Like it, it blows my mind that anybody has ever bought one of my CDs willingly um, or a t-shirt or something like that. Like that just, that just blows my mind. Um, and then to, to like see, you know, I have somewhere around here like a couple of these magazines over here, like where there's been like features, it's, it's like a big letters, the reticent and there's a picture of me and all this big interview or article about me. And like one of them's in Norwegian and all this kind of stuff. And it's just kind of crazy to me to think that anybody would have that kind of interest. Um, That's awesome though. But it's, it's a thing where, you know, it's kind of like you're, you're, what you're doing here. It's sort of, it's not, it doesn't really matter like how many people you, you could, you could potentially, reach it matters who are the people you're reaching exactly um and you know so like i'm, I'm still riding high off because it, it was the last show we played before the pandemic hit um you know i'm thinking about that that young lady who wanted to meet me and talk to me and tell me like you know showed me her arm and had these scars on it but they were peeling and she said, i haven't cut myself in 10 months and all this kind of stuff which by now hopefully she stayed with it i haven't heard from her or anything but i hope she stayed with it and i hope that you know we just passed her you know, 20 months, or I guess at this point, it'd be 22 months. Um, so I hope, I sincerely hope she's, you know, doing well and all that kind of stuff and say the resident does nothing else. If I help this girl stop cutting herself, man, that's huge. That's, that's amazing. If your, if your podcast yeah. reaches one, one person who's just kind of by themselves and they feel like they're connected to you they feel like they hear you or something like that or they're just getting a little something out of it or just kind of helps them get to tomorrow if that's if that's as much as we do as we got somebody to the next day that's i mean that's massive exactly exactly that's all we could ask for right yeah so i mean that's what uh that's that's part of what we what we aspire to do in, in the mental health world is just try to get people to, to kind of make it to that next level. And that's, you know, that's why I do a lot of the things I do is, uh, you know, I mentioned that, that CBT stuff, that cognitive behavioral therapy. Do you know about the triangle? Do you know what that is? The CBT triangle? Uh, I've heard of it, but I'm not sure what it is. So a big revelation for me that helped change how I behaved. Um, Cause if you, if you talk to people who've known me for a long time, I'm sure they will, they will, tell you I was a depressive piece of shit for a long time or I was a this or a that um I only recently found out that there were people in the in my home music scene that thought I was like this arrogant person um because like it shows I would just stand like way back that's everybody though 
and I just talk. <laughs> even if I played the shows like I would just not, I just didn't talk to people and I always looked pissed off and I was like I thought that was okay because everyone did that but like I don't I'm also not a uh, like I don't I don't drink I don't do drugs I don't smoke I'm doing that kind of stuff I don't give anybody shit if they do it themselves I don't care it's just I don't want to do it um just how I am and uh you know if I, if I had some big problem with it, I wouldn't have played bars and stuff like that. I, I would have been, before we start, I'm going to need everybody to dip the, empty those bottles. Of, you know, like, I don't <laughs> care. Like, do, do, do you, man. Whatever, whatever makes you happy. Um, I, and I will say, like, some people do not afford me the same courtesy of, because uh, I get a lot of, those, oh, come on, man, why don't you drink? Why don't you just have some? I was in a band with a guy who spent five years trying to get me to drink. Jeez. And I was just like, dude, I, I, did, I did my time as a teenager. Uh, it's not for me i just don't want to do it and um but because like i wouldn't drink i wouldn't smoke i wouldn't do this i wouldn't do anything i would just kind of stand and be very quiet and i'm very sort of standoffish um i'm at despite how talkative i am i have to kind of make myself be this way because my natural inclination is rather shy um you yeah uh, no i have to i have to kind of put on a, a different uh had it's, it's part of when I when I became a teacher, I, I learned how to have a confident teacher mode. And so I became a really good public speaker. I'm much better in front of a crowd. Wow. I can talk, I can talk to everybody. You give me, give me a you know, hundred, five hundred thousand people in front of me, put me on a stage, I'll be great. I'll be just fine. I'll be as at home as anything else. You give me, you know, just with like two people. And I'll be like, uh, so how how are you guys? Um I just I'm more I'm more comfortable in a crowd than I am with, with individual people. Um, I think cause it's psychologically, it's easier to get rejected by like one out of a thousand than like one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so like, I'm just sort of standoffish, but anyway, I found out that like a lot of people thought I was like stuck up for that. Like, cause if somebody offered to like buy me a drink or something like that, I'd be like, Oh no, thank you. I don't drink. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I was kind of like, I didn't really know what to say. And so I just, I found out like it was years after the fact I wanted to like write a letter to everyone that ever met me and say like I'm sorry I, that I'm, I wasn't trying to be a, a dick I'm just kind of I was just real you know not comfortable uh, and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. and um but anyway I started uh I started learning about the CBT triangle and um what it is 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 let's think of it this way so picture a triangle in your mind. And at the top of the triangle is what you think, your thoughts. Then on this side of the triangle, these are the things you do. And then on this side of the triangle, these are the things you say. Now, what you think is anything that happens internally, mm -hmm. opinions, thought processes, whatever. What you do is any action you might take, you know, any decision that has an impact on the, on the world or whatever. That's an, that's an action. And then what you say is anything you verbalize in any capacity. That could be what you say out loud. That could be what you post online. That could be a text message you send, whatever. Your communication, mm -hmm. right? So the triangle works like this. We think that our thoughts control what we say and what we do, which is true. If I feel this way, I'm going to say this kind of stuff. I'm going to do these kinds of things. What we have to kind of figure out, though, is that those other two actually affect each other equally as well. What you do affects what you think and what you say. What you say affects what you do, what you think, 
just like what you think affects what you say and what you do. We think of it as a process of, I have to fix my thinking before I can fix anything else. I have to fix my brain first. No, don't have to. It's actually easier to fix the others. Those will start to impact the other thing. And I can prove it by saying, like, if you, if you say to people, post every day on social media, if you normally post on social media, I hate life or I hate this, blah, blah, blah. Post something like, like I said, like, I'm really glad you're alive. Or I'm glad you're here. Or I love this music. Something positive, whatever it is. Something that, that you know, some positive energy in there. Even if you're kind of struggling yourself, say, say that. And watch how, as other people interact with it, you will start to change a little bit of how you're thinking. Not drastically, not overnight, but it will have an impact on how you're thinking. Because as you say, I'm glad you're alive, and other people say, I'm glad you're alive too. Or thank you for that. Or I needed this today. You will feel better. Maybe only marginally. Maybe just a little bit. Maybe temporarily. But it will affect you. The same way if you say, and we've seen this, like how many times have you been on social media and seen somebody say something like, you know what, fuck everybody and fuck this and I hate everything. Like they have some meltdown and that's fine. Like I don't begrudge people. I've got friends who have said that kind of stuff and I don't, I don't get mad or take it personally. I understand that. To, like if somebody's saying that, I'm like, well, we're clearly having a moment. <laughs> I'm not going to take, I'm not going to put any stock in this fuck you stuff you're saying. I'm going to assume that you're, you're going to, you're, you're kind of blowing up and you just going to kind of have to, it's just the volcano's got to erupt and we're going to kind of come back down to earth and maybe we'll figure out what's happening. But when you say that kind of stuff, now what's the energy you might get back from that? You might, somebody might be like, well, fuck you too. Or, you know, this like, it's sort of a, you know, there's not really going to be a great payoff for that thing necessarily. Um, and the same thing is like what you do it's sort of like, well, I'm lonely. I hate my life. This other thing is what I'm thinking. Okay, what could we do? What could we do about that kind of thing? I'm lonely. Let's say that I'm objectively lonely. Not, you know, if, if uh, just to clarify for anybody that might be listening, like subjectively lonely would be, we all feel like I'm in a crowd and I still feel horribly isolated. Um, it's, it's a loneliness that is a, you know, almost a mental feeling of loneliness, isolation. Yeah. That would be su subjective loneliness. Objective loneliness is like me last Friday night. It's just, well, here I am with my ferrets, rock and roll, baby. Um, you know, <laughs> like anybody want to come watch a movie or something? How about let's play some Nintendo? Um, you know, whatever. Um, that would be like objective loneliness. So like, what do you do about that kind of, if it was objective loneliness, you know, have you tried to just reach out to somebody? Have you tried to go somewhere? This, and I know like in the pandemic, objective loneliness like went way up. Oh yeah. But I mean, just going somewhere can sometimes, uh, you know, kickstart things. Um, at least once in my life, I took a chance to just went somewhere randomly and I, I made, a, made friends with somebody. It's just kind of like this, just, you know, if you get me talking about something I'm interested in, my shyness goes away and I will get like, well, let me tell you everything in history about that. So here we go. <laughs> uh, did you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I become very animated and, and, you know, you can hear it in my voice. You can see it in my posture that, that I, you know, get very in, into it kind of thing. Um, 
not everybody has to do that, right? But you know, that's 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 an action you could take that could affect your thinking. Um, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you come up empty. I've had that happen before. I've felt lonely. I've driven out and just went to places and just didn't happen. And I don't. I don't mean like going out to like meet. Let me go meet some chicks, man. Like I mean, just like <laughs> go meet someone to talk to. Like go meet a friend or just go to just be among people. People watch yeah. something, something like that kind of thing. That's 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 what I'm talking about. And um, you know, it it doesn't always happen, but you know, at least I tried something. At least I wasn't sitting at home. Like it does still, even just that action still like affects my thinking. Um, and so it's it seems corny to say things like, you know, positive actions, positive statements can, can affect your, your thinking and everything. It seems like such a self-help book thing to say. I'm sorry. The research suggests that it's true. Um, it's just how it is. You know, I wish, I wish there was like a cooler explanation. I wish that like Tony Robbins and those people were wrong on that one. <laughs> They're wrong on a lot of other stuff, but that one is kind of true. Um, you know, you've got your, your, you know, hippy dippy friend that's going to be like, you got to manifest the energy into the world. Like you got that friend that's doing that stuff. I'm kind of like that. It's, it's <laughs> kind of like, you know, dude, you guys can make fun of that, but you know, actually I would say it a different way. I would say it a clinical way. I would say things like emotion. I would say things like, you know, thoughts, process and everything, but you know what? We're actually talking about the same thing. Yeah. You know, and it's just sort of like, and, and I'll give you an example, like people that um, if you look into the history of like magical practices, so I mean, like I was just about cult. to say, I, I would just phrase it as magic. Yeah. So if you look into like occult practices now, now really think about it here for a second, like some of these things like rituals for, you know, rituals for sexual release, rituals for anger, anger release, sorrow, loss, like all these kinds of things. And I think about all these different things I've seen. And many of them are about kind of expelling feelings or changing a certain situation, and everything. And part of the practice is sort of purging oneself of emotion or saying, I will not feel this way, or I'm going to be in charge or something. You're, you're kind of taking an action and saying things that should affect a state of mind. Right. You're focusing your will and your intent in order to create change within the world. Yeah. And so it's this sort of thing of like, that's, still within the realm of like why you know you you have people who uh may be on like multiple sides of that. like i've known some people who think you know well it's a it's a therapeutic thing like i've known people that like practice magic but they it's to them it's almost like a therapy kind of thing i've known some people who practice magic and say no i believe in 100 percent that i'm i'm affecting the world and all this kind of stuff uh, you know I, I'm, I'm down with whatever, whatever you think for, for me, from the psychological standpoint, all of it sort of still follows that triangle. Cause what you do, if you're doing, if you were practicing occult magic or something like that, you're still doing something and saying something to affect how you think. Yes. Um, so you're, you're, you're switching the triangle around. You're not letting the thought dominate. You're letting action dominate. You're letting words dominate. Um, and the important thing is that you, you kind of keep changing that thing. Don't let any one of those things constantly be in charge. But, you know, if one of them is starting to lack, use the others to pick it up. If you are not doing positive things, well, what can we do to impact that? We got to change our thinking. We got to make new decisions. We got to say something. We got to say to ourselves, to the world, I'm going to change. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to get up and whatever 
you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. You can use, you know, to, to borrow that word you were using a moment ago, accountability. We can use the others to help keep each other accountable. What we do, what we think, what we say. We can keep ourselves accountable by keeping those guys in check. If, there's a, if we lose balance with those three, if they're not in alignment, if we want to use the occult language there, if those three things are not in alignment anymore, what I do say and think, if there's out of alignment, I'm probably not going to be all that great. I'm not going to be all that well off. But if they're in perfect alignment, you know, I'm of one mind. I'm of one body. I'm of one spirit. I'm, I'm of one action, one word, one thought. Um, when you feel that way, you feel very clear. In fact, the people that have felt suicidal, this is going to be very dark, but they've actually felt that alignment. Because if they've, if, if like me, you're sitting there with the gun and you're saying to yourself, I'm going to do this. You're thinking I'm going to do this. You're about to do this, all this kind of stuff. All three of them are in alignment. There's a weird piece that comes with that. Now, it's a very dark thing. I'm not suggesting that people should do that at all. Um, but what I'm saying is that's why many people, as they're in those moments, they often talk about how calm they feel. Um, at least people that people that are in alignment, people that are kind of breaking up and crying a lot and all this kind of stuff, that means they're not in alignment. Their thought doesn't agree with it or their thoughts and actions are doing that, but they, they don't want to, they don't want to say it or they don't want to do it. Like something's out of alignment. Right. But when we're at peace is when those three things are kind of in agreement, you know? Um, so it could be dangerous. It can be, but I'm saying what I'm, what I'm saying is just sort of that's, that's what, that, that it's, it's not that this, this practice is like, so oh, you could use this for evil kind of thing. I'm not meaning that. It's just people that have, since this is about that mental health thing, I know many people may have never felt the peace of all three of those things being aligned in a positive way. Right. But they may have felt it in a negative way. They may have felt what it feels like to be thinking negative, 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 you know, saying negative, doing negative, all this kind of stuff. There's no cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. Nothing's disagreeing with you. Um, so what we want to try to do is kind of influence things to be a little bit more, a little bit more positive, a little, you know, pick you up and all that kind of stuff. And positivity, of course, gets such a bad rap because it's, you know, especially in the metal world, like, you know, it's very lame and stupid or this or the other thing. It's not a, it's not a people associate positive with happy. I'm a positive person. I'm not a happy person necessarily. Um, I'm just going to think about what can I do today? What can we, what can we accomplish? What can we, who can I help? What can I do at the end of today? When today is over, when you lay your head down, what'd you do? What's different today? If there's nothing you know, you want to try doing that. And it could be as something as simple as like, like organize the cupboard. Something is different today. Some tiny little thing. Um, I cleaned out the ferret's cage. I did this. I did whatever. I went to the store. I talked to my friend and helped them through a tough time or um, whatever. But that's, that's just, a, it's another one of those important things. Um, and so as you lay your head down right there, if you can think to yourself, Hey, I did all these things, those things you did will impact what, what you're thinking that's going to impact you the next day. And that's, that's the secret. It's not about being happy. It's just positive momentum. Be better than you were the day before and surround yourself with people that want you to be better. Okay. You know, same thing like with, with relationships. Don't go for the, the person just, Oh man, they're so hot. They're so this like, well, okay. Number one, that's going to fade. Um, so 
hate to spoil it for you, but we're all going to be ugly. So, um, but what somebody like, you know, I've had, I've had people ask me that kind of relationship advice before. And it's like, you got to find someone that challenges you to be better. Be, you know, someone like when you're around them, like if your mind kind of like is, is on fire and they're doing it for you, man, you know, and they're, they're making you think I want to be better. Not that not you want to be good enough for them. That's a different thing. That's not, that's negative. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. But like, if they make you like, man, yeah, I want to, I want to accomplish something. And if they kind of get you fired up a little bit or something like that, like there's a connection that's somebody you want around. But if they have the opposite impact on you, like you're going to need to get some distance from them. Mm-hmm. Cause just like the three parts of the triangle affect us. Other people affect us the same way. Right. You're so fucking wise. <laughs> Give this man a hand. I bet you're a fucking baller ass teacher, dude. I bet your students fucking love you. I can totally feel like the fucking positive energy. And I'm like, yeah, pumped up, changing the world today with Chris on my fucking podcast that like five people listen to. But you know what? For those five people, it's going to change their fucking world. And then they're, they're going to go out and affect five more people. And then that's going to be like the ripple effect of creating, you know, just starting with positive change within yourself. You want to change the world, you have to change yourself first, right? Because everything that you do affects everybody else around you on the daily. So mm-hmm. that's 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 where I'm at right now. I'm trying to do something positive with my life, as are you. And together, we're like this super fucking power <laughs> right now that's creating fucking positive change within the fucking world, dude. And that's mm-hmm. magic, you know? I, whether you want to look at it that way or not, that's totally, in my opinion, what it is. Yeah. Fuck, this is awesome. This is awesome. Thank you so much. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything, anything that you want to plug? Um, particularly? Well, um, if, if anybody is, is still listening after, after how long I ranted. I'm sure there is. <laughs> but uh, if, if uh, I'd be honored if people wanted to check out the, the reticent, uh, the oubliette is a Alzheimer's concept album that I just released in uh, late September. Um, you know, got a lot of really good reviews. Uh, Progzilla Radio had it as album of the year. Metal Heads uh, in Germany called it most emotional album of the year. Um, Fuck yeah. So I'd love to, I'd love for people to take a listen to it. It, it means the world to me if people tell me what they think. Um, even if you don't like it, uh, I appreciate you listening. Yeah, that's uh, the one that I listened to. Fucking loved it. Well, I, I truly appreciate it. And um, the, uh, if you want to listen to the, to the one that I was referencing with the uh, with suicide and everything it's called on the eve of a goodbye um if you visit certain forums fans of mine debate over whether oubliette is better than eve or eve is better than oubliette um that's kind of funny to me but they're just very different uh things um fun fact about oubliette uh you'll hear a, a wind orchestra on stage five and seven those are my students uh oh, nice. the last year i was a band director that uh, was a 52 person wind orchestra um ages between 14 and 18 and um those were my kids i recorded it uh, at, actually at the high school we recorded there jamie king uh came out there and we, we had a mobile setup i actually used this computer that i'm talking to you on right now and uh some of this setup and he brought his mics and we recorded them in the auditorium of the uh of the school um so it's very very special to me to have my kids on a record with me um, that was very exciting um and Zael, uh, Ben, I'm in with uh, Josh Ward from Refugee Well and Brad Paris from Nile. 
um, as well as uh, Daniel Presnell and uh, Josh Niemeyer. Um, Sci-fi extreme metal. Um, Josh probably got to be one of the baddest drummers out there right now, an incredible composer uh, as well. Uh, he was the drum tech for George uh, Coleus in, uh, in Nile as well. There's more than Nile connections, all that kind of stuff. So well, last time Nile went on tour, Josh was their drum tech and all that kind of stuff. Nice. And um, we, uh, we just released an album called Blood Tide Rising, um, which is uh, also kind of like uh, reticent, you're noticing a theme here. It's also a concept album um this is all sci-fi stuff uh lots of lore uh josh has this very deep uh lore that he created for for the world that Zyle's a part of uh, and each of us actually like have our own characters we sort of developed and written a story um for and all that kind of stuff and um so like we even have like made up languages and stuff for for the worlds and all this kind of stuff and uh Damn. so if you're into like tribal music meeting symphonic stuff meeting extreme death metal kind of all comes together um like you mentioned like septic flesh demi borgir a la the vortex years um kind of thing like if that's sort of your bag if you, you may like it so check that out uh, that's that just came out um february on pavement entertainment um and i'd love to say we're like going out on tour for it and everything but it won't be till next year but we will um we'll be on the road and um hopefully i'll get this other vocalist job and i can plug that another time <laughs> yeah yeah i mean if we'll if see. you're willing i'd love to have you on again in a future episode uh, you you have but to ask how cool. make- I, I definitely will. And I'll definitely just be hitting you up to say hi. And- hey, do it, man. <laughs> let's, let's talk. I noticed we have, we have very similar, uh, very similar tattoos there. Thrown so, to the goat. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bathory ho. <laughs> Actually, I want to get a new tattoo. I want, I'm going to get a portrait of dead. Oh, nice. Yeah. Fucking beautiful human being. I want to talk to, um, to necro butcher about his experience with you know his friendship with dead and get mm-hmm. into the whole all the uh mental health stuff behind that so that's like a a future goal hopefully within the next year it'll pick up this will gain some momentum and i'll be able yeah, to interview yeah. like you know super hard to reach guys so we'll see i yeah. i feel hopeful i really feel like this this has excellent potential because like i had mentioned earlier it's not really like every other music interview podcast you know what i mean like you were saying you're trying to talk about this deep shit and they're like hey so tell us about track number three on your latest <laughs> album and it's like you you want to get beneath the skin of that you know what i mean mm-hmm. this, this is why it's called shedding skin yeah well i mean that's and, and you know what's interesting is that most of the podcasts i've been on and and to be fair like most podcasts i've been on like the people have been very accommodating with that kind of thing but they've also talked about like how different it was to talk to me because i didn't want to talk about just the music i want to talk about what what we're really yeah, is at the heart of this stuff exactly and, um you know it was it was i think just a different thing for 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 them but most of them were very very cool with it um and so i just i think it's very cool and exciting that there's a podcast that just kind of starts off with that like you know plug what you want or talk about what you want but we kind of want to zero in on these sorts of uh not necessarily finite issues but at least at least this sphere of stuff you know yeah exactly tell your friends hype it up yo <laughs> I'll, do it. I'll be sure to share it fuck yeah dude 
Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time. I really, really appreciate it. You were fucking amazing. Thank you so much. It, it, it was a pleasure. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. You are absolutely welcome. I will talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Have a good evening, my friend. You too.